welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Executive Pastor Chris Valdez. Well, before we get into the Word this morning, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, we honor you. We honor you with our praises. We honor uh, you for everything that you've done, for sending your Son, for sending your Holy Spirit uh, to enable us, to give us new life, to transform us, Lord. Uh, to reveal your word to us, Lord. And we just, we honor you and we lift you up this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, will speak truth this morning and that that word will transform our lives uh, again this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We've been in Galatians for a while now. This morning we'll be looking at Galatians 5. The broader title for this series in Galatians has been the gospel in Galatians. And the word gospel is just the word that we use to describe the good news of Jesus Christ. Throughout Galatians, Paul has been making the case to the Galatians that Christ alone is not only sufficient for their total salvation, but he is the only way for their total salvation. In essence, Paul is saying that Christ alone is the complete gospel. He is the good news. Jesus Christ is the good news. If the Galatians are to believe the Judaizers who are trying to add to that gospel, they're not going to gain what's been added. Paul says, in fact, they'll lose what they have. Our focus this morning is going to be on Galatians chapter 5, where Paul defines our freedom in Christ. And he explains how in Christ we can walk in the spirit and no longer walk in the flesh. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It'll also be up on the screen. It says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's telling the Galatians, you have been set free from your sin. You've been set free from a performance mentality. Don't go back. And whatever you do, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rather, through love, serve one another. Remember, Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law. He says he came to fulfill it. And we just read that Paul's summary of the law, the whole law, he says, is fulfilled in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was here on the earth and was asked what the greatest commandment was, his response we see in Matthew 22, verse 37, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, And with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the law. 
Every law that was ever written and every word that has ever come through a prophet, Jesus says, is summed up in loving God and loving your neighbor. It's interesting, though, to look at Galatians that Paul skipped to the second part. He didn't mention loving God. He just sums it up by saying to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's true. It does. And the reason for that is because it's impossible to love your neighbor as yourself apart from loving God first. We can't do it. We think we can, but we can't. You have to love God first in order to truly love your neighbor as you love yourself. First John 4:20 says, "If anyone says that I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen." Do you know the heart of sin is me? It's selfishness. The heart of sin is me. Me first. What I want. What I need. What can I get out of this life? The first lie that was told to Adam and Eve was, you can be like God. It was about themselves, about getting it themselves, about not trusting God to give them what they needed. I have to do it myself. No one else is looking out for me, so I have to do it. That's the root of sin. It's always about me. It's always what do I need? What do I want? And that's why it's impossible impossible to love your neighbor as yourself apart from the power of God. The only way to love those around us is to love God first and be set free. That's what Paul's saying in Galatians. He's saying Christ has set you free from yourself. Me is death. When Adam and Eve said me first, they died. So we don't come to Christ and get freedom to serve ourselves. We come to Christ to get freedom from ourselves, from the death that we won. The death that we wanted so bad. The death that we gave up a relationship with the Father for. Because we had to do it ourselves. And so Christ died to set us free from me. And in that freedom, we can love our neighbor as ourself. We're set free from that hold that was on us that everything is about me, what I want, when I want it, how I want it. Me, 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 me. It's impossible. For us to love the way God loves unless we've been set free from me. Unless we walk in the Spirit instead of the flesh. So you ask, how do we do that? And I'm glad you always ask the best questions. Thank you. Let's look at that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then he throws on the end and things like those. That's not a complete list. The list goes on. Every single one of those is about me. What I want, when I want it, how I want it, and I'll get it myself. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. And notice it's His fruit. He brings the fruit. It's not in us. We're not capable of this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In the power of the Spirit, We can have the fruit of the Spirit. And we don't have to walk in the flesh. We can walk in the Spirit. And we're going to look at Jesus this morning as the ultimate example of walking in the Spirit. But before we do that, I want us to have a good understanding of who we, of where we are coming from. Of who we are if we're not in Christ. Who we are when we're living in sin. And also, if you're in Christ, I want you to understand, one, where you came from, but who you are in Christ. When Paul says, if we walk by the Spirit, will we, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The word Paul is using for flesh is the word sarks. And in the New Testament, when the flesh is compared to the Spirit, it's not referring to our physical nature versus our spiritual nature. It's referring to that to the sin-desiring aspect of our whole being. He's referring to the me. Me first and me only. The sin-desiring aspect of our whole body as opposed to the God-desiring aspect of our renewed spirit, of who we are in Christ. The sarks is our sinful heart. And then the word he uses for desire here, it's the word epithumeia, And it means literally an over-desire. Not just a desire, but an over-desire. An all-controlling drive and longing. The main problem with our heart isn't so much desires for bad things, but an over-desire for good things. And the the idea that we have to get it ourselves. When a good thing becomes our God, it creates over-desires unchecked, out of control, addictions. Everything is about me. Everything is about the self, even when I'm serving others. Do you know you can serve others and be living in sin? 
that you can be loving your neighbor and be living in sin and it all be about you? Because remember, it's what do I want? What do I need? And we tell ourselves, well, I need respect. I need honor. I need praise from other people. And I've found that if I serve other people and other people know about that, I get honor. I get praise. I get respect. I get everything I want when I do this thing. That's how we love in our own strength and in our own power, because it's still all about me. And that's why it's impossible to love our neighbor as ourself unless it's by the power of God. Because outside of the spirit, we're walking in the flesh. It's one or the other. We can't do both. You have to choose. And the only way we can walk in the spirit is by the power of God. And then we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves, And we can serve because God loved them. Because He loves them and who they are. And it's nothing about me. Who cares if anybody notices? Who cares if I get honor or I get respect? I'm just going to love them like God loved me first. We have to understand where we're coming from. Where we are if we've never accepted Christ. The truth is that we never truly understand how bad we are until we have tried really hard to be good. Have you ever tried to be good in your own strength? How, good, how did that work out for you? It's in this process of trying to be good in our own strength that reveals how weak and sinful we really are. Some people buy into the silly idea that good people do not know what temptation means. This is a lie from the pit of hell. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. Put another way, you'll never fully understand the strength of your enemy by surrendering. You will only understand their strength by fighting against them. Think about World War II. There were nations that just waved the white flag and surrendered to Germany. They had no idea how strong the German army was. They gave up. They gave in. They surrendered. Only the nations that stood up to the German army and fought and lost hundreds of thousands of lives to protect the freedoms of the world know how strong the German army was. We don't find out how strong temptation is by giving in. The idea that people who give in to temptation and sin are somehow wiser or more experienced than those who resist, it is a lie. The idea that knowledge comes from sin is as old as the first sin. That was Satan's promise to Adam and Eve. You'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll have knowledge. You'll be experienced. You won't need Him anymore. It was all about me. 
A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. Think about that. When we give in, we don't know what the next hour would bring, the next day would bring, the next week would bring to fight against the temptation to sin. And this is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. This idea will throw you for a loop. At least it did me. Listen to this. Bad people have lived a sheltered life. Bad people have lived a sheltered life. Because they've always given in. Do you get that? People who give in to their sinful desires, they give in to their flesh, they give in to that nature, they're the ones who are sheltered. They don't know how strong the desire is. They don't know what it's like to fight against it. They've always given in. Every desire that my flesh has had, I've given in. Everything that I wanted, I got it the moment I wanted it. Whether I needed to lie or cheat or steal, whatever it takes, I'm going to get it for me. They don't know what it's like to fight the temptation. They don't know how strong that desire is because they've given in. They're the sheltered ones. Giving in to our sinful nature is the easy thing to do. At least in that moment. There may be consequences or hardships that come from our actions, but it's never hard. It's never difficult to give in to sin. It's only when we start to get better that we understand more and more clearly the evil that is still left in us. When we are getting worse, we understand our own badness less and less. A moderately bad person knows they are not very good. A thoroughly bad person thinks they're all right. It's true. Good people know about both good and evil, but bad people don't know about either. It's a lie from the enemy that would tell you otherwise. We will never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And then we'll find out we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it on our own. And that leads us to what I think is the most important part of this message. Jesus Christ. Because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation really means. It puts a whole new aspect on the life of Jesus Christ to see that he's the only one who fought temptation day in, day out, minute by minute, hour by hour, year by year, his entire life and never gave in. Jesus was the trout swimming upstream into the increasing fury to Satan's temptation. And he reached places no person has ever reached. And Jesus planted his victory cross where the current of sin's force was most intense. Bearing the full wrath of God because he was under the unabated downpour of sin's fury. 
after taking the pounding of a lifelong battle with temptation and receiving God's judgment for our sin. He took the judgment for our sin. And then he cried, it's finished. And it was. But what we tend to miss in this is the fact that Jesus was fully human. He was the Son of God, but He set that aside when He came. Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8 says, Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking a form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oftentimes we think, or maybe I should say I think, because it's certainly the way I thought, I give Jesus too much God credit. He was able to live the life He lived because He was God. He was able to resist temptation because He was God. It was easier for Him than it is for us. I believed that lie, but it's a lie. I always had the idea that it was easy for him to resist temptation because he had never sinned. Because if you haven't had the experience of sin or the knowledge gained from how much fun sin can be, it has to be easier, right? Wrong. From his birth to his death, Jesus took the non-stop onslaught of attack from the enemy. Tempted in every way, but never giving in. He was pounded over and over and over and over his entire existence on this planet, and he never gave in. Only Christ knows how strong temptation can be. Only Christ knows how strong the enemy is. Sometimes we still, or I should again say I, still have so much pride and flesh left in me that I'll still say ridiculous things like, Jesus doesn't know how hard my life is. Jesus doesn't know how difficult the enemy can be. Because He never gave in. He doesn't know because He never raised the white flag. He doesn't know because He never surrendered. The truth is that we're the naive ones. We're the ones that don't know. Before we go into that next part, I just want to share with you, uh, and I believe God's just given me a glimpse of this revelation, but I want to share it with you it's the idea that, that Jesus, like the Scripture we said, He emptied Himself of God. And we're going to talk about a temptation here in a minute that Jesus endured. But the idea that He really came in human form and was fully human. And that the only advantage that He had to us is that He started out with an uninterrupted relationship with God just like Adam and Eve did in the garden, and just like you have 
right now if you're in Christ Jesus. He just started there from his birth. And so the thought is that at the moment he was born and uh, the moment that Mary and Joseph held him in their arms, and any of you who are parents, you know that as soon as you had a baby, you were telling them how much you loved them how much you cared for them, what they meant to you, that you were going to do anything for them, that you were going to provide for them, that you were going to be there for them. At that same moment, Jesus was hearing the uninterrupted word and voice of the Father through the Holy Spirit. And He was hearing from the Father, I love you. You're my Son. You were with me from the foundation of the world. You were with me when we created this world. And he had to believe that by faith. So I always gave him the credit of having the knowledge of that. Like he knew he was God. He had the memories, the way we have memories. He had the memories of being with the Father and creating the heavens and earth. But we're going to see in the moment in the Scripture, there's no way that could have been true or it wouldn't have been a temptation. We're giving him too much God credit. The Bible says he emptied himself of all of that and came as a man and had the relationship with God that Adam and Eve had from the very beginning. He heard the voice of the Father and had the power of the Holy Spirit in him, but he had to believe it by faith. So look with me at Luke 4, verse 1. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Notice that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into temptation for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when we when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God. Command this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God. If you had the memory of being with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit when the heavens and earth were created, would that be a challenge? Would that be a temptation? Of course I'm the Son of God. I remember I was there with the Father when we created. Jesus gave up those memories, but what He had was the Father had said, you were with me when we created the heavens and earth. And Jesus believed that by faith. When He read Isaiah and then said, this word has been fulfilled, it was because when He read Isaiah, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, said, that's you. And Jesus Christ, by faith, believed in what the Father was telling him. And here Satan comes and says, If you are the Son of God, prove it. And how many of us in our flesh would say, I'll show you who I am. You want proof? I'll give you proof. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He didn't take the bait. 
He didn't fall for the temptation. He didn't do his own will. And then in verse 9 it says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God. Again, challenging his identity, who he was. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, every temptation, every attack, every beating, everything that he had, it said that he departed for another opportune time. We have to understand that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit the same way that we can be led by the Holy Spirit. And we have to understand that He didn't have those memories. Everything that Jesus said, He said it by faith in the Word of God. The same way that when we hear God speaking to us, when we see the word that Jesus came in the flesh for our sins and have to believe that by faith, the same way that Abraham believed the promise of God by faith, the same way that every human being on this earth has always had to believe in God by faith, Jesus Christ did the same thing. He believed the word by faith and he believed who God said he was. And he tells us, if you have Christ in you, you're made righteousness in him. And we can believe that by faith. Hebrews 4 shows that Jesus not only knows what we're going through and will go through, he knows more than we'll ever know. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He never gave in. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy And find grace to help in the time of need. We can trust Him. We can go with confidence to the throne room of grace and receive mercy to help in our time of need. Grace is God giving something that we don't deserve. And that's forgiveness. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We never could. We never will. But He gives it and that's grace. And mercy is not getting the punishment that we so deserve. The judgment that we deserve. Jesus took it for us. In our place. Having battled sin every moment to the end and taking our punishment to give us freedom from ourself. To give us freedom from death. To give us freedom from me. So that in Christ, I can love my neighbor as myself. In freedom, I can live the life that God intended for me to to live. Jesus tells us that He never did anything on His own. 
In John 5, verse 19, it says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. I think this is the greatest temptation Jesus ever faced. He's saying, I never did anything for me. Not once. I never served myself. I never got something for myself. I never did anything for myself. I never did anything out of selfishness. I never did anything for me. I did what I saw the Father in heaven doing. He walked totally in the Spirit. Never in the flesh. Never taking a step in the flesh, but walking in the Spirit. And because He did it, because He fought it all, because He won it all. The Bible says once He was raised from the dead that He ascended into heaven. He took humanity into heaven. He took victory into heaven. He took us into heaven. And all we have to do is believe. The same way that by faith Jesus believed what the Father has said. We can have that same faith, that same belief, and walk in the Spirit just like Jesus walked in the Spirit because He made the way. He walked His whole life totally dependent on the Father and the Holy Spirit, and that's what we've been called to do. But we have to remember it's impossible. It's impossible to do it on our own. We can't earn it on our own. We have to understand. We have to come to that place, like we said earlier, that the only thing we accomplish by trying very hard to be good in our own strength is that we can't do it. We have to get rid of that idea that says, if I do enough good things, I can earn my salvation. And we have to understand that if we gave God everything, which is what He's asked, we're not giving Him anything that wasn't already His, that didn't already belong to Him. I gave the example with my candy and the girls were in the first service. They're, they're helping out in the nursery now. But if you're a parent, you've probably done this. When it's my birthday, candy would take the girls out and they would pick out a present that she would purchase for me from the kids. And when it was her birthday or Christmas then I take the kids out when she's not around and we buy a present for candy from the kids. Only a fool would think that you're benefiting from this transaction. You're buying a present for yourself. You're getting what was already yours. You're probably getting something you didn't want <laughs> that you have to pay for. But you receive it because it's from your child and they gave it to you out of their heart and love. And for us to ever have that idea that we're giving something to God, we're giving something to Him that where now by justice, God, you owe me. You owe me salvation. You owe me heaven because I've earned it. Look what I did. It's insane. We can never earn it. And when we get to that point, when we realize 
when we realize that we have nothing to give that's not already His, it's by His grace and it's by His mercy and it's by what Christ did alone that brings us into His throne room. And then He gives us the Spirit to walk out the life that we were supposed to live in the first place. He calls. He delivers. He gives. He does. All we do is receive. The only thing He asks of us is to die. Kill me. And we can't do that on our own. We give ourselves to Him and say, In you I trust. In you I commit myself. Kill me. Kill this flesh that I might live in Christ. And He does. And then He gives us the Spirit to do everything that we need to do. And then we have that choice day by day to walk in the Spirit and not give in to the desires of the flesh. Step by step. And it doesn't mean that we don't take a step out. The words that are used in Galatians is when it says if you do any of these things, you're not going to be uh, in the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about walking in that lifestyle, walking in the flesh. It's not talking about taking a step out in disobedience and and realizing that, repenting, coming back to God and continuing to walk in the Spirit. But the point is, we have the same ability that Christ did to hear the voice of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and we can walk in that by obedience. Just like He did. Just like He did. And we love our neighbor as we love ourselves in Him, in His power. We're going to close with this verse. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This idea is that it's like a mirror We're a mirror reflecting the glory of God. Did you know a mirror doesn't receive anything? A mirror doesn't keep anything. It doesn't hold on to anything. Everything that comes into it, it reflects it back. And that's what God's saying we're to do. That's what Jesus did. Everything that His whole life and His purpose was here was reflecting honor and praise and glory back to the Father and back to the Holy Spirit. And the Father says, I'm going to honor the Son and I'm going to honor the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, all I'm about is honoring the Father and honoring the Son. And Jesus says, we can be like a mirror that everything that comes to us in Christ, we reflect it back. So that when you're at work, when you're with your children, when you're with your friends, when you're around anybody, they see the reflection of God, the reflection of Christ, the reflection of the Holy Spirit. And nothing is being held on to because it's not about me anymore. It never was and it never will be. So everything that comes gets reflected back and they see the glory of God because Christ is in us. That's the life we're called to live. Bow with me this morning. Dear Father, we thank You. We thank You for the victory that You won. We thank You, Lord. And just have a glimpse 
of what it was like for you to live on this earth for 33 years and not once taking an action for yourself. Not once giving in to sin so that you could honor the Father, so that you could be a perfect sacrifice for our sins, so that you could take humanity and victory over death into the throne room of heaven and us along with you. Thank you. Father, I ask if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't received you as their Lord and Savior, that they will this morning. And for those of us who have, Lord, I pray that we will walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, that we'll hear Your voice and respond in obedience, and that we won't take any action in ourselves or for ourselves, but for You. That we might love You with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. That we might love our neighbor as we used to love ourselves. And it's only by your power. You start it. You finish it. And it's by grace that we have been saved. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.